ladies and gentlemen. My name is Carl De Wet and I am the primary care clinical lead for the Queensland Health Healthcare Improvement Unit. I am also the clinical lead for the Gold Coast Primary Health Network and I am a part-time general practitioner. Carl, thank you for joining us today. As you said in your introduction, you're the primary care clinical lead for the Gold Coast Primary Health Network and the Healthcare Improvement Unit with Queensland Health. What does that all mean? Rebecca, it means I have the privilege to have a foot in each of the two main camps of the public health sector. On the one hand, there is the hospitals and on the other hand, there is community-based and primary care services. And it's my privilege to work across both of those and help to increase the integration and the collaboration, which can only mean that our consumers in Queensland receive higher quality care. And you're also a practising GP. I am. How do you work your times? That must be tricky to juggle all of this. It can be challenging, but it is definitely worthwhile. And because all of the different roles relate to each other, it is important that I maintain a foothold in that lift experience of each of the different worlds. Part of the legitimacy of the role comes from understanding what it feels like to interact with patients within the systems that we create at that state level. So Carl, what did a typical day look like for you pre-COVID? For the last few years, I have not had a typical day. I have had colleagues describe my portfolio and role as a bit of professional ADHD. Every day is different. I like to think that if I do my role well, usually that means that it leads to non-events. So if I am able to accurately predict where the pain points in the system will be, and if I am able through teamwork to address those pain points proactively, it means that it never escalates turning into complaints, into social media chatter, and it can all just be quietly resolved as it should be in the background. So it sounds a little along the lines of issues or disaster management, Carl. Yes, and <laughs> preferably before anyone even knows that there could be a disaster. Yeah, so it's thinking about what policy changes might mean in practice, and it is keeping the finger on the pulse of the different professions, understanding their pain points, and especially in complex adaptive systems, looking out for those unintended consequences that might actually then lead to issues. A very practical recent issue has been around the fact that in Australia, we are fortunate to have not one, but two COVID-19 vaccines. And because we have that choice, inevitably the unintended consequence of that is that some clinicians and consumers might think that one of those vaccines would be preferable over the other and then that creates certain expectations and really trying to understand some of what those perceptions might be ahead of time and then taking steps to make sure that if possible we can address those perceptions before they then lead to unfortunate practical issues in real life for example an increase in vaccine hesitancy. That's really interesting Carl it's not at all what I envisaged your role to be. It's definitely about that. As with most healthcare workers, there is the bit of the work that is known and that others can see. 
and I like to think of that as work as as done. And then there is the work as imagined, the invisible work, the work that other people may not necessarily know that we do. So my background in patient safety made me very aware of the importance of mitigation, of the informal, the hidden, of the invisible work that everyone does and that systems have to do to stay resilient. And a large part of what my role is, is about the invisible work and about making sure that complex adaptive systems are nudged just sufficiently to make sure that over time that we continue to progress towards that beautiful vision which for me is sustainable excellence in healthcare. Carl, COVID-19 reached our shores in early 2020. How have you been involved in the response? Rebecca, the truthful answer is quite reluctantly. When COVID hit our shores, I was just flying back with my family from Heron Island. And initially, like many people, I must admit that I had no idea just how far-reaching the implications would be. But it became apparent within the first few weeks that we were up against a much more challenging problem than at first it might have seemed. So when my uh, line manager, the executive director of HIU, Mr. Michael Zanko, approached me and asked me if I would be willing to step into that primary care liaison and lead role between SHEC, which is the State Healthcare Emergency Coordination Centre, and the Queensland primary care sector, I realised that that was an important role. And it meant that I temporarily had to put a pause on some of the projects I was involved in. And we all had to adapt and we had to be flexible and we had to learn very quickly. And that first week in March in Sheik was key for us because it allowed within that one week for us to create statewide health pathways for the assessment and management of COVID. It also helped us to bring together organically those important stakeholders across a wide group of primary care organisations that had previously never met. And I'm proud to say that we continue to meet at least weekly, if not more often, including this morning at 7.30. And this group has been instrumental in its liaison with SHEC to make sure that we create for primary care and other clinicians a standard and a gold um, standard repository of information because this pandemic has been characterized by data overload, by a proliferation of so-called experts and it is important that our clinicians and consumers have a trusted source where they can get information and we have been attempting to provide that for them through updates, which we circulate by email, through online resources, in person, through webinars. And while it is true that we can always do more, I believe that it has played at least a small part in ensuring Queensland's successful management of this pandemic, while there has been other states and also other countries that unfortunately have not fared quite as well. And Carl, we've talked about you also continuing to work as a GP in Logan. Um, Has that direct patient contact been helpful 
for you during COVID? It is incredibly helpful. Last week, I personally experienced the effect whenever PPE, personal protective equipment levels, are changed. While it is so important that we do that, the real-life implication for consumers and clinicians when you're consulting to increase your PPE has real-life implications from silly things like learning how to manage your glasses when they fog up Mm -hmm. through learning how to don and doff your PPE, making sure that PPE logistical chains are maintained, understanding the fears and concerns of individual patients. This is essential information as we then grapple, often on the same day, with the statewide challenges of how we reconcile the needs of individuals with the policies and procedures at the statewide level. And Carl, you mentioned before about the vaccine and it's being rolled out as as we speak. What's the role of primary care in that? Primary care has an essential role. Vaccinating our population has been core business for primary care for many, many years now and will continue to do so. Once this initial vaccine for COVID has been rolled out, I can see a future where primary care will once again have the majority, if not all, of the vaccination requirements. In the short term, we know that more than 50% of general practices have put their hands up. So across Australia, more than 4,700 practices are participating in the COVID-19 vaccination program. And we know that later this year, some community pharmacies will join in these efforts as well. When we look back, I expect that the majority of vaccinations, even during this initial rollout, will have been delivered by primary care in primary care settings. And that is, of course, as it should be. And that's also reflected in the COVID-19 management of the pandemic, where the majority of COVID testing actually occurred in the community and through private pathology providers. And Carl, the Clinical Senate, which you've become a member of the executive in the last 12 months, we've held a number of meetings about healthcare integration and what actions can be taken to support integrated care across primary care and secondary care. Has COVID helped at all with this drive for improved integration? Absolutely. COVID has shown us that if there is an issue that equally affects all of us, that it is common to find common ground and that once you have common ground and you sprinkle liberal doses of respectful collaboration, it is possible to meet just about any need or demand and that it is possible to do so in record time as well. One example has been the rapid adoption of telehealth, where as 15 months ago, even the most optimistic of us thought that it might still take several years. Now, we know that 20 to 30% of consultations in primary care is by telehealth. And we also know that every HHS has significantly increased their proportion of telehealth consultation. And that generally, through the practical application of this new modality, Clinicians are finding that it's working a lot better and exceeding expectations in most instances. With the caveat, 
of Maslow's hammer, which is that it's not a panacea or an answer for all ails, but it certainly has extended our armamentorium. So finally, as I mentioned, you joined the Senate Executive last year and we're very grateful to have you on board. Why have you taken on that position? That is an excellent question, (laughs) mainly because I was invited and because this has been the year of saying yes, so opening myself to new opportunities. On a more serious note, it's because of the wonderful example of Liz Kenny and of of Alex Markwell. And those two have, from the very beginning of the COVID pandemic, led by example, just tirelessly advocating for all clinicians at all times. And they were very keen from the beginning not to make this about secondary and hospital care clinicians, but really advocating for clinicians. And the example that they set in word and deed was truly inspiring. And it is an honour to be part of a group like that. And while I've named the two of them, the rest of the Senate equally, each in their own way, has continued to advocate and play an important part. And I believe that the Clinical Senate now is more important than ever. What the COVID pandemic has shown us is that we truly are all in this together. There is no cavalry. There is no one else coming to our aid. It is simply down to us right here in Queensland to make the best of what we have. We are the solution that we are looking for and therefore it is the responsibility for each of us to stand up and play our part and being part of the Clinical Senate is one way to do that. If we go back to the beginning of your medical career, where did you study? I still study medicine. (laughs) I think I'll do that the rest of my life. Uh, I started my journey in the Johannesburg area of South Africa. And since then, I have studied in Stellenbosch, which is more in the Cape region. I've studied in Scotland (laughs) and more recently in Australia. So I currently hold three different nationalities, although of the three of those, I consider myself an Australian first and foremost. Lucky us. And what what drew you into medicine? Did you come from a family of people in medicine? I'm the first of my family to go to university. So I can't really say that there were examples from that perspective, but the example of my family was always one of service and believing that we can leave the world a better place than we find it and that that is the meaning of life. There are many ways to serve. It's not necessary to serve in healthcare or in medicine. It just happens that is the route I took. Increasingly, though, I see that there are paths of usefulness around us in many ways. And I often think of a quote my dad uh, shared with me, which is that man meets his destiny on the path he takes to avoid it. There are many ways for us to serve. And Carl, before we finish up, do you have any final thoughts or comments? It's unfair to name any more people than I've already done. Increasingly, though, over the last weeks and then months, I've been impressed by the collaboration that has developed and that continues to develop. I think that the most important challenge we now face is complacency. This is not yet over. 
and without active and ongoing investment and purpose and work, the gains that we have made during the pandemic will definitely be eroded. And it will be very sad to think that we have not fully capitalized on the opportunities that has arisen. And it is important for us as we progress to keep one principle close to heart. And for me, that is the principle of respect. Everyone in the system, in every part where I work and encounter, usually try to do the best that they possibly can. And when it seems as if though some parts are not functioning the way they should, there are almost always system-wide factors outside their control. And that's why we have that saying in improvement science that every system is perfectly designed to give its results. A little bit of respect for the people working in those systems goes a very long way towards helping to build collaboration and help to further improve our system. Well, Carl, it's been wonderful talking with you. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you.